everyone. Welcome to an Hour from Tower podcast, the podcast that brings you the people and personalities of the College of St. Scholastica. Well, after a week that has brought two blizzard warnings, a third one on the horizon, we're at another first on this podcast. Last week was our first students, and today is the first Hour from Tower on the road. We're in St. Cloud today um, with a few of the folks from our St. Cloud campus. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves. We have Katie and Megan here. Um, we're going to let them introduce themselves and uh, talk a little bit about their journeys here. So, Katie, why don't you start? Yes. Well, thank you so much for, I'm happy to be the first on the road show of the Hour from Tower. So an hour from cloud, maybe I'll can rename this episode. But uh, my name is Katie Wayne. I'm the director of the St. Cloud campus, as well as the uh, director of graduate and non-traditional admissions here for the college. It's kind of a running joke. I've had people within the College of St. Scholastica think my last name was from St. Cloud because I was always <laughs> Haiti from St. Cloud for so long. I've been at the college since 2008, but um, and now I was at the St. Cloud campus. I was a student from the College of St. Scholastica. I received my Master's of Arts in Management from the St. Cloud campus before I worked here, um, and I graduated in 2006. I came to class every Monday, Wednesday night. Um, to, while working full-time with a young baby at home. Also, I gave birth to my second child while in that program. I was working for a local nonprofit at the time, and that kind of planted the seed of higher ed in my head because I loved going to school, and I could not afford to go to school forever. So I was like, why not maybe work for one? And so I was then in 2008 hired as an admissions counselor at recruiting for um, adult learners. Uh, for graduate and undergraduate degree completion programs at the St. Cloud campus. And my job in the campus has really just evolved since then. We've had two expansions, um, two locations in that time frame. And my passion when it comes to education is helping adults. I have teenagers. I love everything they do on main campus. I have a college freshman, but helping people reach their professional and academic goals. And that does look different if you're a parent or working full-time or balancing, taking care of parents and all of that that comes with while changing your career or advancing your career. And I just am blessed that Scholastica has allowed me to do that while still living and raising a family in St. Cloud. Yeah, that's incredible. There's about four podcasts in what you just talked about there. We're going to get into a bunch of that stuff. I've got a lot of questions around that, but Megan. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Megan Bregelman. I'm a St. Classica alumni. I graduated from our main campus in 2020 with a degree in psychology. It was a great experience. 2020 was not a great year to graduate college with the pandemic. Um, after graduating, I moved back home to Litchfield and worked in elementary school for a school year and quickly realized I love kids, but not to work with them eight hours a day for nine months out of the year. Um, and when I was a student at Sins Classica, I worked in our admissions office. I was the front desk student. Um, I did my internship for my psychology degree in the admissions office. And I really loved working with those high school students, um, kind of guiding their college search through the perspective of a current college student. Um, so I kind of thought, hey, why not go back into higher ed? So I worked at a local Minnesota private close to home for a little bit. And then an opportunity came up to work at St. Scholastica, and my heart was still with St. Scholastica, even while working at that other institution. Loved both schools, but the opportunity to come back to St. Scholastica and recruit future nursing students to my kind of pride and joy of an alma mater um, was too good of an opportunity to pass up. 
So here at Scenes Classica, I work with all of our future nursing students, and I kind of have the best of both worlds. I work with a graduate extended online program like Katie does, so I have those adult, non-traditional learners. Um, I also work with transfer students, so students currently in college, but they want to switch and come to Scenes Classica, and then our traditional high school students looking at their first institution. So it's the best of both worlds with students with various backgrounds, experiences, and kind of all how I can help them get started or continue their nursing education. Yeah, I, you know, Megan and I met each other through our work at a previous institution, and I saw the light and followed her to Scholastica. So um, that's kind of how that worked out. Um, talk a bit about the St. Cloud campus. Um, students you serve, programs you serve. I mean, Megan, you touched a little bit on the nursing aspect, but I think there's a lot of people that don't realize all the programs that we do offer here remote um, at this site. So talk a little bit about the programs we offer. Yeah, and it has evolved and changed over the years. Uh, currently at the St. Cloud campus, we have a post-baccalaureate nursing program, which is for students who have a bachelor's degree in anything but nursing and now want to be a nurse. And so for some people, that's a quick journey. Some people were a music major and need two years worth of prerequisites and now want to be a nurse. But it's a program that's the second bachelor's degree they're earning to become a registered nurse. We also offer our nurse, our graduate nursing programs. So we have a family nurse practitioner program and an adult gerontology acute care program that we offer. So we are at the moment pretty much full-time nursing all around. Two floors of this building dedicated to learning and lab space. Uh, we do those support students who are enrolled in our online programs. We have a students who may drop off a transcript here or there, or to, that we're still their, their campus, even though they may be enrolled in an online program. Great. And, you know, you, you talk about, you know, the, the, the adult students, those going back to school. Kitty yourself had talked about that. I mean, it's just fun having both of you here. Your journeys with Scholastica are very different as it relates to your educational journeys here. Um, I think as an undergraduate student, I used to always complain when I had an adult student in my class because I'm like, oh, they have nothing else to do. All they do is they study and they break the curve and, you know, they, they're, they're always, they always know the answer, you know, all of those kinds of things. But the students you work with talk about their unique challenges, especially that adult population going back to school, whether it was, you know, you living at Katie um, or both of you, what you see with recruiting. What are some of those obstacles? I think the biggest one is balance. You have a lot more things you need to juggle in the air as you get older and have more responsibilities. And so many students may be working full time. Many have children. Many have bills and mortgages. Many have parents they may be caring for. Um, and then how to fit that in. And so through Scholastica, a variety of programs, some, you know, you are able to balance. Take one class here or there. Our post-baccalaureate nursing program, students are encouraged, you know, it would be impossible to work full-time. It's an intense, accelerated program where you have many things you need to line up beforehand before you can take the jump and do that. Um, also, too, I think, and I've learned this as, you know, I was a graduate student, your time and your money is worth more as you get older. And so um, you then you learn how to spend both your time and your money more wisely, and you want to get the most out of it. And so I think that that, that may be one thing that's different, or the students are looking at differently than when they were possibly, you know, 18 years old and a freshman in college. Yeah, and they're in it. They're invested. Um, they've taken time to think about this. They've had their life experiences that maybe working in HR for 10 years, and now they realize that maybe healthcare is their true passion. So they're more invested. They're doing it because they want to do it. 
Um, like Katie mentioned, there's all those additional barriers. So overcoming those to start a program, finance a program, they're invested, they're excited. Um, they're asking questions, what they need to do. They're just invested in their education. And it's really fun and a rewarding process for us to kind of see them through that entire process from just gathering information about the program, taking two years to finish those prerequisites, and then finally walk across the stage. It's really fun just to kind of see them, kind of cheer them on throughout the whole process and help them get to where they want to be and start that future career. Megan, is it hard for you, especially when you're recruiting, you might get on a, you might get on a Zoom call with a, you know, 35-year-old post-bac nursing student and then switch gears and you're with a 17-year-old high school junior who's just starting to search. Is that challenging? Do you find that challenging or is that kind of like it's fun because it adds a little spice? It's fun. Yes, it definitely adds a little bit of spice. I think because I was in college not that long ago, it's easier to relate to that 17-year-old. I know the thoughts in their head. I know what questions they might ask. Um, but it's fun hearing the stories of the post-bac students. They're invested, like I said. Um, they have a lot more deeper questions about how they're going to finance it. Um, there's less parent involvement, which, depending on the parents, can be a good or a bad thing. Um, so it's definitely a lot of spice, even from a traditional student to a transfer student, just kind of taking that hat off and putting the other hat on. Sometimes it's a lot of investigating that I need to do before connecting with a student, um, but it's a fun variety and lots of good experiences for future careers for myself, too. I imagine that, um, you know, Katie, when you think back to when you were taking your classes to now, right? I mean, it wasn't just yesterday you were in, uh, don't make that sound like your ancient ego. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, the, the, a lot of the challenges, right, I would imagine still remain the same, right? When you're balancing a family, when you're balancing work pressure, that balance piece you talked about, um, and imagine that that is still there. But, Post-pandemic um, and also competition, I think, has changed a lot. Talk a little bit about maybe the changes from when you were in school compared to how now you see your students that you work with balance. How, does, how has that balance changed? Yeah, I think um, when, when I'm back in the day, you do make me sound old when I was school. I came every Monday, Wednesday night from 5.30 to 9.30. So you'd work 8 to 5.00. You'd come 5.30 to 9.30 for class twice a week. Looking back, I don't know how I did that with a two-year-old and one on the way and working full-time. No one offers programs like that anymore. That's not even an option at Scholastica or any of our competition. The, the, it has changed. The amount of work it needs to complete a degree is the same, um, you know, but the formats have changed and how, and how you accomplish that. And, and, you know, we've gotten, I completed that in like a year and a half and wrote my capstone and was done. Uh, you know, Scholastica has with some of our programs, we are more flexible. You can speed some up, you can slow some down, depending on your, you know, what's going on in your life. At the end of the day, though, there is only 24 hours in the day. And how you choose to break up those 24 hours is going to determine, you know, what you, how you may look, what your time looks like while you're enrolled in school. You still have to sleep. You still have to work. You have to carve out that time for study, you know, then what goes, you know, maybe you watch TV less and your house is messier or you need to find some tag team for the carpool. Um, and that's what I think adult students are navigating, regardless of the program, is how can this fit in to my 24 hour day? Sometimes the answer is it can't right now. You know, you need the stars to they're never going to completely align. But, you know, as admissions counselors, we help students navigate getting the stars to almost completely align so they can be successful. Am I at a place right now where my life, my family, and my work, this is going to work? 
yep, let's go there now. Cause who knows? It may not be this way next year or five years from now. Um, and so, yeah, how do you navigate those 24 hours in a day to fit everything in? How do you also navigate the flexibility within healthcare? Because, you know, again, this facility, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a second, is really amazing because you would think it's just kind of a place where there's some classrooms and we teach or, you know, and that's it. But I mean, we have a, like basically a fully functioning hospital floor in this facility, which is insane. Um how does that work? How does that balance work for those students? I mean, how, how can we be flexible, but yet still have them have the experience here that they need to? How does that, what does that look like? I think it's an ongoing process. Like our post-bac faculty and grad faculty are always talking about, okay, what are students requesting? What's not working? Um, how can we make this more accommodating for our students that are so busy? They're juggling a lot of responsibility. Um, so it's always adapting. Right now, the postback lab is kind of in a revision process, thinking, how can we make this work? We have more start dates. We have more students interested. Um, every other week on campus isn't always possible. So how can we kind of adapt our program, still be successful, still have high NCLEX pass rates and student success, but also be accommodating and attractive to prospective students? So I think it's constantly being revised, constantly being talked about, thought about. Katie and I brainstorm all the time. How can we pitch ideas or make this more plausible for our prospective students. In some ways too, I think our nursing programs here are unique too, is that we've always been hybrid. When COVID hit, we didn't have to pivot. We, you know, students were already learning online um, and choosing, you know, some things you can be flexible on, some things you can't. Our lab intensives, they're required, gotta be here. Clinical requirements, gotta do them. Um, that's what's gonna, you need to complete the program and to help you be a successful nurse or, you know, in the healthcare field. But that we, you know, we were kind of born with being fluid that maybe, you know, maybe instead of sitting in a lecture for four hours, you can learn that online. Um, and we kind of got there first in the marketplace with our post-baccalaureate program. And now we see competition kind of catching up, but we had that established and that is attractive. And then to knowing that you, you're not the right program for all people. If someone wants to become a nurse over four years, our one-year program's not for you. Um, you know, and then, but there's great institutions in Minnesota where maybe, you know, maybe you can find that, but also deciding that you can't be all things for all people. What do we do well? What is needed in the community? And how do we deliver it? Yeah, that's the art and science of it all. Talk a bit about, you mentioned clinicals. Where, where do those students do those clinicals? It's not just St. Cloud. That's one thing that I've learned um, is that there is some, there's some geographic diversity here too, right, with clinicals? Yeah, so our students can do, St. Cloud Hospital is a big one, um, but we also have placement sites in all over the metro. So depending on where a student is coming to us from, um, there is some flexibility with where they can do those clinical rotations. There's a couple different types. So for faculty clinical students will still have to travel, but for those preceptor um, capstone and rural clinical placements, they could be Closer to home, they have a little bit of a say. They can rank sites that are available. So if they have that interest and they want to be an ICU nurse or a pediatric nurse, um, they can rank and request that their capstone be in those areas to get that hands-on experience um, in school before they start their career. Yeah, and I saw you both smile when I asked about clinicals because what I know, too, about it is, you know, we work really hard, I think, to try to find clinical placements and for the needs that there are. I mean, sometimes it's really complicated for those healthcare systems to have students come in as or, or service preceptors to these students because it's a lot of work on their side to to train students and speaking from a dad of a future nurse here in a few months 
um, you know, I, I can see that firsthand, um, but the amount of work those preceptors put in for those students, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, the facility here, talk a bit about, uh, you know, you know, the, 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 we're sitting on the first floor here of this building. The second floor is where the magic happens. Talk a little bit about what we all have here from a facility standpoint. Yeah, so we moved into this, we keep saying like our new building, but it was 2013 when we moved in, which is now almost 10 years ago. Um, and we occupied half of the first floor of this building off of Highway 15 in uh, St. Cloud. And in February of 2020, we knocked down the first wall for our expansion on the upstairs and then COVID hit. <laughs> but the benefit was, is that we got had to make a lot of noise without disrupting as many people because the building wasn't as full. Um, so on the first floor of our building, we currently we have uh, classrooms, office space, and we have our skills lab for nursing. And then the expansion that was done in 2020 into 2021 was our simulation lab. And that's what when Nate said, it looks like a hospital upstairs. Our second floor does. We have uh, a hospital type looking rooms, even a nursing station, um, clinic rooms as well as uh, employee lounge area, a larger classroom, and some breakout study rooms. And then in the center of it all is the crazy technology that keeps it all running. Uh, the control rooms where uh, employees control mannequins and run the simulations that students run through. So now when we have students here, they're going back and forth between upstairs and downstairs. We This semester was the first semester ever we were able to have our post-baccalaureate nursing and our family nurse practitioner students here on the same day because we had that much space available to spread them out. Yeah, that's great. And these mannequins are like freaky crazy, right? I mean, like they do, they like throw up on you. They sweat. They One like can give birth. I mean, is that true? We call them our million dollar people because they, they're not really quite a million dollars, but I'm like, we don't want them to break. But yes, they are high fidelity, I think is the technical word, but that they can perform bodily functions. Lucina is our birthing mannequin. We do love it when Lucina gives birth a couple times a semester and she's not on the same <laughs> nine month schedule. But when Lucina has her baby, it's always kind of a big day around here. Um but yeah, but that is, you know, part of the the technology that's helping prep these nurses for the field is these these crazy real life simulations on mannequins. So when they are in the field, they are ready. Yeah. It's uh, I I've not witnessed it. I've only heard of it. So I might need to be here on a day. <laughs> on a birthing day. It's one of those birthing days because I just, <laughs> it's just fascinating to me how, I, I, again, I don't know how, because I wasn't a student back, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s. I mean, when the sisters first opened up the institution, how do they train nurses to do nursing things without these million dollar people, <laughs> you know, around, right? I mean, it is really crazy, all the work that they do. Yeah. And how far technology's come. Yeah, yeah. We talk a lot on the on the main campus about, you know, really impactful, you know, people and, and faculty and things. You know, when you think about, you know, Katie, in your experience, right, um, and it was an extended site, right? It was here in St. Cloud. Yeah, it was our old it. building that I went to school at. Yeah, yeah. so um, for both of you, and it's, you know, it's, it's going to be different, different folks, but talk a bit about some of the, the people that were hugely impactful in helping you get your degree. It'll be interesting to hear the differences between an extended site and the main campus. But, but when you think back, who are some that you that, that come to mind? Yeah. So I, the people who are the most impactful for me in completing my degree, so this is my master's degree many years ago, were my fellow classmates. There were 12 of us who started the program and finished the program together. 
We still keep in touch. We get together less, but I mean, I told you Monday, Wednesday night, four, five thirty to nine thirty, that we were coming from work. Um, great, um, just great support. And the faculty we had, I've lost touch with many over the years, but I we still keep in touch with that group of students when I graduated in two thousand six. We almost all are in different jobs. Sometimes our second different jobs, like just to see where we've all gone professionally since completing that degree. Yeah. Um, it's all taken us different paths, but different steps up and elevated in different organizations. Yeah, good. What about you, Megan? Yeah, I'd say my family. Um, the amount of phone calls my mom got, the stressed out, angry, sassy, crying phone calls. Those. I graduated early, so three years. Um, definitely my family and then my friends just being kind of my core people in my community. Um, classmates also, it was just, this amount of study groups and test preparation, just knowing we had our core group of psychology majors and we would study and hang out. Um, and then the faculty really just, you see them at the grocery store, they call you by name, they ask how the class is going. Um, it's a huge community at St. Scholastica. Anyone and everyone there cares about you and everyone is rooting for you to kind of go throughout that whole process from inquiring to walking across the stage. So the whole community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so true. I thought back to, you know, you were talking, you know, my traditional experience versus my graduate experience and how different it was relating to, you know, the faculty connections. There were still connections, but it was different than your traditional program. But the classmates, like that cohort model. So and we run that core model here, too. Right. You have that kind of that group that you journey with throughout that whole process. Yeah, many of our programs run on that. And I think is one thing. Many students entering a grad program, you don't expect to learn as much from your classmates as you do, mm-hmm. um, and that those relationships do continue out long after the program's over. Yeah, they bring that shared experience because they're all in times either similar work or, you know, I would imagine with some of the DMP programs and things, they're nurses already, mm-hmm. so they come in and they can share that shared experience, yeah. real hands-on experience with each other. Talk, you know, from a from a non-traditional standpoint too. Um, you know, your family, Katie, when you were going through, it was relatively young. Um, but how does the family experience this as well? Right. Because I and I and I speak really firsthand. Saturday was our fall commencement exercise. And I may mention during the uh, the non-trading graduate ceremony in particular, watching the family faces are almost as fun as the student faces. But how does a family journey with their student? Because it's really almost a there's a family sacrifice here. Not that there's not in the traditional program, but it's a different type of a family. Absolutely. Sacrifice, right? You've heard many times, you know, it's a, even a family decision. You know, mm-hmm. can mom or dad do this at this time? Our students say, too, that they, it, you know, their third graders' homework time is their homework time, and they're sitting down around the kitchen table doing their homework together. Uh, one of my favorite nights of the year is actually tonight. We have our pinning ceremony for one of our cohorts of post baccalaureate nursing students graduating. And it is, you see the, the kids watching their mom or dad walk across that stage, sitting next to their grandparents, so the students' parents. You know, it's kind of a multi-generational thing, and it is just, it's very cool. And uh, we've even heard students say, you know, I, I didn't set out to do it, but I got to be an example for my kids. Or this is what happens when you set a goal and stick to it. And my kids got to see that. And, you know, maybe they won't, hopefully they won't remember I missed that basketball game, but they'll remember my graduation um, at the end. And it, it is very cool. Yeah. And I think it's at time for, you know, the, the the kids, especially very motivating to them. They see their parent getting this degree and, 
can become almost a motivation factor for them to get their own, right? What do you wish, and I'd be curious, both of your perspective, maybe you feel the same way. I mean, you're dressed the same today. So I think it's kind of same brain here, but you know, you're, you're, it's kind of a, a mini family within the St. Scholastica family you, that really sends, and working at another institution that had satellite sites that, you know, you're, it's, you're the team, right? You're the St. Cloud campus, the team. Um, what do you wish folks on our main campus knew more about? as it relates to your work and the campus? Oh, good question. <laughs> this is where we start getting into the tough questions. Yeah, now we're done with this story, now it's the tough questions. Yes, I think that it is, there are some people I think in Duluth who like, oh, we have a St. Cloud campus? We've done good. People, most people know about it, but that what we do here, you know, but that, and sometimes too, I think so much of our work is seamless. You know, like when a student calls, financial aid, they don't know or care if they're a St. Cloud student, an online student, a main campus student, they're a Scholastica student. But I think our success here at the St. Cloud campus directly correlates to the relationships with the departments, the faculty on the main campus, um, that we are able to seamlessly interact. Um, You know, when someone may call here and wanting to talk to financial aid, they don't know that I'm transferring them to Duluth or next door. We're transferring them to the financial aid office. Some people think we are financial aid because we're able to get them the answers and get them what they need, what they need to know. Um, We value the sense of community here like they do in Duluth. I hear so much about, you know, sense of community in Duluth. When you hear our students down the hall, they probably are right now having lunch. We have that community here uh, with our students and our faculty because it's loud and they are laughing and they are potlucking and sharing lunch and bringing Christmas treats today. And um, so that we are, you know, not, we are siloed in, ex, in a sense, but we definitely are, I think, an extension of the St. Cloud or the main campus. Yeah. Do you have anything to that, Megan? Your last comment was what I would add. I would just say that we are our own community, but a part of the bigger St. Scholastica community. So just, our students are still bonding. It's still the Benedictine values are still very present and observed on our campus too. So yeah, yeah. I think you know when you watch the the explosion of campuses like you know Southern New Hampshire and Western Governors and you know there's a there's I think for some students you know education has become really like more of a commodity like just how quick how cheap just to get it done and be done with it. I, you know, we want to make sure we're expedient with not only the timeline, right? Time is money going back to especially the adult students, right? And even the undergraduate level, right? In and out in four years, that four-year guarantee, all of those things matter. But the people, right? The, the And the connections piece on it is something I think you all do really well here. And we all do. And you know, like you say, you're just an extension of that from the Holman main campus, mm-hmm. right? And I'm sure they try to do that as well even being large, right? Mm-hmm. Phoenix and all those other huge ones. So, yeah. yeah I think it's one thing Scholastica has always and continues to do well. Yeah. Are those, even in our online environment as well. Yeah. So let's shift gears a little bit. We talked Scholastica now for, you know, the first half. So, you know, I, I typically ask and I do, well, I do a little bit of, you know, creeping first on social media and those kinds of things to try to get some, you know, interesting things, learn a little bit more outside of work from people. but. You know, and I put out a request, and you all stay pretty tight-lipped about it. But what you know is one of us in this room just were recently married, 
So because we've had nauseam had to look at her beautiful wedding pictures online that she continues to post the videos. Um, talk a little bit about being a newlywed. So how's that going? Yeah, I, if I had a dollar for every time I was asked that question in almost three months, I'd probably be a millionaire. And my answer is lame. It's the same as engaged life, <laughs> but bills are paid with two incomes and now not just one anymore. No, but it's a great experience. It was I, we had set our wedding date before I was working in higher ed and fall for anyone who knows is just insane for admission counselor travel and fairs. And so I literally landed from our honeymoon and was at the national college fair the next morning. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of a whirlwind of events. And then I'm in grad school right now too. So it was the wedding school travel. So it was a busy time, but now it's been nice just to kind of sit back and relax and enjoy being married Uh, that first Christmas in our new home is starting to hit all the feels but yeah it's been a very fun first three months I'd say (laughs) well I think there's always surprises I mean I for me I mean and Katie you can speak to this too but for me you know my wife was really strategic and smart she waited until about a month after we were married to spring upon me and say I don't do windows I don't do floors (laughs) so that's yours and she's never done a window or floor she's assisted I better correct that in case he listens in but but again i'm initiating that i I don't know if there's any surprises from you katie that you witnessed but any any surprises thus far i mean it's kind of the same but no surprises i would say he's more okay to say like nope i'm going fishing bye instead of like no we can maybe make christmas cookies he's just doesn't care (laughs) and he's more confident to be sassy and just joking but I'd say for the most part, we had lived together before we were married, so we kind of had that flow of cleaning and duties and all of that down, but it's been a good first three months. Yeah. I don't know how it is for you, Katie, but I think thinking back to those first married days, it's been a while for me, almost 27 or over 27 years. Um, Yeah, I forget sometimes what that's like. Yeah, that newlywed feel. (laughs) (laughs) And it's different. It's fun how it'll grow over time. I mean, that's what I enjoy so much about seeing your pictures. I, you know... It's it's exactly what I remember, right? It's just that just that complete joy and all of that that goes along with it. Now that complete joy gets mixed a little bit with how come there's still laundry in the dryer you didn't pull out and fold, but you know, yeah. but it's still a blend of all of that. What about the holidays now? Where I mean, we're you know less than a week away from Christmas, um, and it's been fun for me. I'm a Christmas fanatic, so. What are some of your favorite Christmas traditions um, and or memories that you have with your families? One thing that we do in the Wayne household is we celebrate little Christmas Eve, which is so uh, Christmas Eve growing up, we opened up most of our presents. Santa came on Christmas Day, but little Christmas Eve is the December 23rd and you get to open just one present. And this was kind of stemmed from my grandfather, who's no longer with us. He could not wait. (laughs) <laughs> you know, he was the instigator and in all this, but that has something I've carried on with my kids. And they used to, took them a few years to figure it out that the present they always opened was Christmas jammies in our house. But uh, we get our Christmas jammies on little Christmas Eve. Nice. But even as my kids are older now, um, even you know, they, my son said, I've got to work on little Christmas Eve, but I'll be home in time for Christmas jammies. <laughs> so that's something that we do. So if you're just one present. You have my permission on little Christmas Eve to open up just one present. I love that little Christmas Eve. That's great. Well, if you may. Yeah, I, this goes into that previous question, but being a newlywed, it's kind of fun just to start those Christmas traditions. So my brother lives in Denver, so kind of 
figuring out that travel plan gets tricky. And then my uncle is a Catholic priest. So our Christmas schedule usually usually revolves around the mass schedule. Um, so it's been fun this year. We've decided that Christmas Eve is going to be kind of Jake and my husband and my time. So we're going to stay home and then head to my uncle's on Christmas Day. So just navigating what is this going to look like and start those little traditions. So we're excited. Yeah. It's always if people people ask advice. I'm usually pretty good at giving advice, but I try to now wait for people to ask it. But if they ask about newlyweds, you know, what what would advice would you give? It's start traditions because you know, again, whether it's little Christmas Eve or you know, for us, it's it's very much you know Christmas Eve certain food or you know whatever else. It, it the kids will scream if we don't do those traditions, and you know, two of them are in their 20s now, and they still want to have those things they had when they were kids. So what about foods? Things, again, foodie as well. Things, you know, favorite foods around this time of year. Maybe things you only make this time of year. Yeah, my family is an avid oyster stew family on Christmas Eve, and I despise oyster (laughs) stew. So my brother and I both, so we had kind of turned that into, we have pizza, they have oyster stew. So now it's kind of just a running joke that we will always have pizza, no matter if other people are eating oyster stew. We just have to have pizza at some point in time over Christmas. I just laughed. That sounds so different. Right? Pizza and oyster <laughs> stew. Like, it doesn't even sound right. You know, it doesn't even sound right. <laughs> yeah, we always do appetizers on Christmas Eve. And we I grew up, though, with the, the Swedish meatballs, lefse, mm-hmm. all of that. But um, the grandkids, so my kids have convinced Grandma for Christmas Day prime rib. And that's kind of a good oh, new wow. tradition going forward. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, you know, if, if you're going to get asked, you might as well go big, right, with prime rib. Don't go pizza. Go prime yeah. rib, right? It's something <laughs> big. What about a Christmas movie, favorite Christmas movie? I'm a diehard Elf fan forever. All year round, <laughs> we can watch Elf at my house. Yeah. yeah, I like them all, and I'm just a sucker for the new ones that come out on Netflix this time of year with, uh, you know, Fall in love at the ski chalet when you're on break from your high power city job. I'll just throw those on in the background. But yeah, Home Alone, A Christmas Story. There's so many good ones. So you you would be an avid Hallmark Christmas movie watcher? I, I or? have the Hallmark channel, so I kind yeah. of missed that. But on Netflix and some of the other streaming, there's the ones that come out yearly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can throw it on. And then, um, yeah, no need to ever watch them again, most of them. <laughs> but they're in the moment. They're good. It's, uh, you know, there's so many good traditional ones, you know, too. You know, the ones you mentioned, White Christmas, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That's like a 10-time watch over the holiday. Um, that it's hard for new ones to break in. But the one on Netflix, you know, when you mentioned Netflix, that broke in a few years ago was Klaus. The one about the post, I don't know if you've seen it, but a, a letter carrier. And, but, and it's hard to break in. But now that's one we watch every year, too. So... We had this debate too: Die Hard, Christmas movie or not Christmas movie? Not Christmas. Yes, movie. Christmas. Movie. Yeah, see, you know, I'm on the not side, so it's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'm on the not side either, but yeah, but Katie, a lot of people have said absolutely it is. So yeah, interesting. We just watched Spirited. My son and I did, and that's a new Ryan Ryan Reynolds musical. Don't need to really say much more. It's worth checking. <laughs> but but that alone was a that was a good one that kind of got us in the spirit. Very interesting. Well, fun. Well, I've been peppering you for questions, as I always do in the podcast. I love time for you to pepper questions of me. So, so have at me. What do you? What questions do you have? 
I would say I get stressed out just working in enrollment and you have enrollment and student experience. <laughs> so how do you balance all of that and kind of stay sane? <laughs> yeah, I, you get that asked that question quite a bit. You know, I think the biggest thing are having good people around you, right? And I'm looking at two of them right now that we have on our team. You know, I think the only way with a with a job like that with enrollment and student affairs in this environment is to have a team structure that supports the work that needs to get done right and i think from a leadership standpoint and i struggle with this still and 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 maybe you know you Katie from your leadership standpoint Megan you will get there i know you will you're going to be a fantastic in this profession moving forward is you know how do you balance helping people do the work that you used to do more regularly or you know how, how do you balance helping them or doing the work? Because your your initial feeling is like, I'm going to try to do it all and you can't, right? So, I, you know, I, I think um, I think it's the having the right people, um, not getting too high or too low, which I have a hard time doing too. I'm a really kind of passionate, emotional person. So trying to stay even keel because everybody drafts off of you and what you do. Um, so people staying even keel, um, and when all of that fails, bourbon is nice. So no, I, um, uh, I think it's just, it's just, it's just really, it's really those two aspects of it. I try to find two people are like, Oh, do you read? And so I'm like, I hate to read. I really, that's one thing I don't like to do. I read when I have to, but for me, it's mindless entertainment. I'm a reality TV junkie. So like, for me, watching a reality TV show is just a way to like kind of shed all of that or going to one of my kids' games, which now with the youngest graduating, I don't know what we're going to do. I'm going to have those games to go to yeah. um, anymore, which will be really weird. So, yeah, I think it's that. Yeah. Yeah. What else? It's I know we've talked music, reality TV, sports. Yes. Magic Wand and you are given Super Bowl tickets oh, or front row stage tickets to... Yeah. Band X. Yeah. Do you pick the sports or do you pick the music for that kind of once in a lifetime experience? Mm, such a good question. And I'm going to ask you guys that same question because I'll be curious too. Um, it depends on the band, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I think if it was like the Beatles, like if I could go watch Front Row with the Beatles or some legendary band like that, I'd probably go see the Beatles. But being such a sports fanatic, um, I have a bucket list of sports events that I'd like to get to, um, and the Super Bowl is one of them. But when you look at a price of, you know, three grand, it's like, how do you justify it other than the experience, right? Because you're not you're not going to see it as good as you would on TV, right? High high def, all of those yeah. kinds of things. Um, and uh, but boy, it'd be fun to go and experience it. <laughs> you know, that's for sure. So I didn't really answer the question, but I guess my answer would be. Not specifically knowing the band, I probably would go Super Bowl. Um, but you put a couple of specific bands in front, and I think it would be the legendary ones that probably aren't around anymore. I, I might have a hard time going against that. What for you? That's I mean, but it doesn't have to be football. It could be any sporting event. Would you? I, and I guess if you're not a sports person, it's pretty easy. But yeah, I think I would pick Super Bowl too. I love concerts. I've been to many. I would pick Super Bowl, and I would find my way on the floor for the halftime show. And then I could... <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. I would say if it was the Vikings in the Super Bowl, I would go just to send both of you Packer fans a picture and rub it in your faces. But any other day, I would pick a concert. I'm more of an artsy music person. 
sports person. Yeah, well, you better get ready for a connector because I just don't know if that's ever happen. Although, this year you can rub it right back in the face if the things that are going on. I, I, going to the Packer game on the 1st of January, so, and I say Packer game, they are playing the team in purple, so um, so that should be a lot of fun, but that's a fun rivalry too. So, yeah, good. What are the questions? That, that was a fun one. That's a really good one. Any other questions? So what else is on your bucket list of sports items? I would love the yeah. Kentucky Derby. Yep. It's on mine. I've been to the British Open. Yeah. And so that was one of them. Oh, We're going to go to St. Andrews and yeah. see that. Um, yeah. But I'd love to go to the Kentucky Derby one day. Yeah. For me, and I, you know, Super Bowl, although I went to the NFC Championship game when the Packers beat the Bears in 2010, that was as close to Super Bowl as I ever made yet, but it was awesome because um, the right team won too. Um <laughs> But Super Bowl, uh, Kentucky Derby would be on it. Uh, Daytona 500. I've been to the Indy 500. That was on it. That was pretty cool. So my father-in-law, when he was alive, he was a huge racing fan. Um, an NCAA Final Four would be good. Both men and women would be fun to see. Um, a, a major, well, I shouldn't say I've been to a major. I've been to the, um, uh, not U.S. Open, the PGA Championship um, when we lived in, in Wisconsin at the Kohler uh, courses in, in, in Wisconsin. So those are some of the top ones. I'd have to go back and look, but those are the major ones that, that come to mind. I, a U.S. Open championship in tennis would be fun to yeah, go to, fun. even though I'm not a huge tennis fan. Uh, and then uh, 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 NHL and all the finals, like NHL finals. Again, I don't, I still don't have it. I go watch the Saints play hockey. I have no idea what the <laughs> rules are. They like, there's icing, they stop play. You know, I, I know put the puck in the net. That's about it. So, yeah, but those would be some of the other ones that would be on it. Those all sound good to me too. Yeah, yeah. I kick myself because you just never know when your team is going to be in the championship, right? So, um, yeah, NBA Finals. My, I sent my son to the Eastern Conference Championships when the Bucks were making their run because we're all Wisconsin fans. Um, so sent him and he enjoyed it, but, you know, would love to do that. But you never know when your team's going to get back. For the Bucks, it was 50 years for the Packers. Now it's been since 2010. Um, and I had the chance potentially to go in 2010, but again, couldn't justify the money um, because we were putting shoes on our kids' feet. Now that our kids are getting off the payroll, maybe I'll have money to be able to do it. I don't know, but um, yeah, it would be a lot of fun. So yeah. yeah. What other questions? Anything else? I say Christmas time. I know you have kind of a side gig as making some phone calls yeah. to some kiddos <laughs> with their wish list for Santa. So yeah. how did you get started doing that? Great question. I love doing it too. So I had an advisor in college in the traditional program at Carroll, uh, Pete Settle, Dr. Pete Settle, who for years made Santa calls and called uh, my children when they were little. And um, about maybe seven-ish years ago, um, his health was declining a bit, and he had said, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna retire from making these calls." And um, I was able to, to contact him and say, you know, hey, Pete, would you mind if I would pick up that tradition? Um, just I know how wonderful it was for for my kids. And um, he was like, yeah, that's that's great. So ever since then, I've been doing that um, just as a fun and as fun as it is, I think for the for the folks receiving the calls, it's as much fun for me um, hearing that excitement. And I've made them now. I think I've talked to an age range from three to 35 um, this year. I had my first 35-year-old uh, phone call, which was 
um, according to her post after ultra dirt, ultra dorky, but ultra nostalgic. Um, so it was, you know, really good talking about uh, the history and tradition. So I get a little bit of intel before because Santa knows, right? Mm -hmm. I, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows mm -hmm. when you're awake. Um, so, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. I, you know, everything about this time of year, I think, is so wrapped in tradition and, and for us anyway, tradition and family and nostalgia to bring some of that back or set those memories for people for me is I, I always feel it's a way for me to give back to those that have given so much to me and my family over the years so um maybe someday right I think uh, although I call 35 year olds too so you know you just you just never know but yeah so a lot of fun I it's just you know spread joy when you can and um I think that's just what I try to do, especially this time of year and slow down, right? You talk about kind of this, how do you balance the craziness of the role and the job? Um, stopping and pausing, because there are times too where I'm like, oh, I got to make that call tonight. That's right in the midst of everything else. And you just do it because it slows you down for, you know, it takes five minutes and I just leave ultra filled again um, when, the, when they're done. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Anything else? Well, just so great to have your first on the road podcast. <laughs> and we yeah. here welcome anyone to come visit us anytime. We'd love to show people around, show off our space and our great uh, community and hospitality we have down here. Yeah, whether you live down here or you're passing through, you know, folks that are listening to this podcast up in the Duluth area. Yeah, I'll, I'll just call, obviously, and, and, and pop in. I think you'd be amazed at just seeing you know, again, the work that's done here and, and chatting with the students. I know the students that I've had a chance to chat with since I've started here have been so appreciative when they see a face. It's going to sound really bad other than yours, right? But they know they, they know they have advocates in you, but knowing that, you know, you talk about that intentional connection back to the main campus, it's important for them to feel that as well. Um, so having faces here to do that is really important to them. So Thank you both for all you do. Um, again, I meant that when I said I'm looking at two of the best on, on the team with uh, enrollment management and student affairs at St. Scholastica. Your work is not lost in the shuffle with everything that's going on. And um, I sure do appreciate the heck out of you as, as many others do on campus. So yeah, thanks for doing what you do. And thanks for being the first uh, hour from Tower on the road. That's awesome. So we'll have to do more of these uh, along the way. So with the holiday season coming up, we'll have a little bit of a break here. We'll be back probably the Thursday after the first, and our schedule's been all thrown off by all the snow. Why does it snow so freaking much around here? That's it's got to stop this year. So with the schedule being off, this podcast will be uh, is is off schedule. But the next one coming after the holiday, and we'll catch up with another uh, another person and personality on our campus. So thanks to you both, and uh, have a great holiday season. Thanks. All right, this was an hour from Tower Podcast. We'll catch you down the road. Take care.